Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the Work With Me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Michelle Courtright, the owner of Fig and Farrow, a mission-based restaurant in Minnesota that educates guests on the environmental benefits of plant-based food. Michelle was part of a business delegation to the United Nations Conference on Climate Change in Poland in 2018 and a consultant on the UN's COP25 menu in Madrid in 2019. She's been trained by Al Gore as part of the Climate Reality Leadership Corps and worked with the Mayor of Minneapolis to issue a proclamation for citizens to eat less meat, to align as a city with the Paris Climate Agreement. As part of its sustainability initiatives, the restaurant plants a tree for every guest through trees.org and has planted over 60,000 trees to date. Fig and Farrow has also attracted the attention of celebrities, including being part of a vegan food tour with pop sensation Billie Eilish and Uber Eats. In this episode, Michelle discusses how she got endorsements from celebrities, including Billie Eilish, Pink and the Smashing Pumpkins, how she got involved with the United Nations and the impact this has had on her business, why she runs free events, including a salon and book club at the restaurant, a new licensing collective she's launched for the brand and why she chose this instead of franchising, and much more. Here's the interview with Michelle Courtright from Fig and Farrow. Hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Katrina. Great to have you on the show. You've got a particularly interesting story because, uh, and I'll get you to obviously to talk about that because that is going to be my first question as it is to to everyone who joins me on the show is the why. So what's your why? Because I I think it's interesting. You've got an interesting background. I noticed you worked for almost a decade with a brand agency. I think you were a partner in a brand agency. And uh, nearly three years ago, two and a half, nearly three years ago, you started Big and Farrow, uh, a, a vegan restaurant in Minneapolis. So tell us about your why. Why are you doing what you do? Yeah, yeah. So um, I have owned businesses most of my adult life and um, I did own the, the um, agency and 
Um, my, my whole adult life, I had really wanted to open up a um, plant-based restaurant that had always been, I have, I've been vegetarian for 20 years and it really was my dream to, to do that. And um, I actually was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer um, when we were in the middle of selling our company. And so there were several months there where I was going through chemo and, you know, laying on my bed and realizing how short life really is. And um, had some time to connect on the issue of um, not only the, the uh, restaurant, but um, how food intersects with climate change. And as you know, uh, it's um, the industrial uh, agriculture system is uh, representative of a huge amount of uh, greenhouse gases. It's one of the biggest contributors to, to uh, climate change. Yeah. And so um, I just thought maybe this is a really important way that we can speak to people through food and, um, you know, get the message out that uh, eating a plant-based diet is, is good not only for you and for animals, but it's good for the planet. I love that. Thank you for sharing your your story. I'm always fascinated how people come to that. And even, you know, through something obviously extremely challenging, uh, like breast cancer, something positive has come out of that and led you in a different direction uh, business-wise. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's uh, amazing. Um, tell me a little bit about the name, Vegan Farrow. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, you know, I just like the lyrical quality to it. Um, you know, they, they're very exotic uh, sounding fruits and grains and uh, they're from afar and we just like the way it sounded. It, it fit well with what we wanted to create and sort of the interesting way that we played food and, and everything. So we just, once we said it out loud, we, we knew it was a good fit. Lovely, I love it. Now you open to so you're running a, a a plant based restaurant in Minneapolis. Now I don't know too much about Minneapolis. I'll be perfectly honest, but it doesn't immediately spring to mind as a super vegan friendly city. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to open your vegan eatery in Minneapolis. Yeah, well, um, we are home of the herbivorous butcher, which was the very first uh, oh, vegan. Oh, okay, shop. you're right. Yes. Um, so we did have that um, way back in the day. They've been around for a while and we do have a lot of great vegan options here. Um, but yeah, you know, we are in the uh, Midwest and um, it's certainly not the first type of city that you would think. Um, we actually tailor our message and, and are very intentional about targeting to the meat eaters out there. Um, because our mission is about climate change and, and getting meat eaters to adjust their diet, um, you know, we, of course, love our, our vegans in the community, but um, we really want to target the meat eaters. And so we're kind of happy we're in Minneapolis and we're kind of in that, uh, you know, city of Vikings and people that are used to eating, um, eating meat. And um, we feel like we're really changing minds and, and hearts. And we've seen a huge uh, adjustment in, in the amount of meat eaters that come into our restaurant and are saying they've taken their diets down to one or two or five times a week. Uh, where they won't have any meat. And so we know we're making some substantial uh, changes in the community. Oh, that's good to know. Because I think maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, or maybe even five years ago, who knows, if you sort of open a, a vegan eatery in a very meat-centric kind of area, you might not have got such a positive response. But I, And I think it's interesting, and we're going to get into this uh, shortly, the fact that you are very much focused on the climate change angle, which is obviously a very hot topic excuse the pun <laughs> at the moment so <laughs> but first yeah. of all um let's talk about some of the kit because obviously i know with opening a restaurant you know that whole kind of hospitality industry it's a it's it can be tough um so tell us a little bit about um some of your key challenges when you first started out with the business uh, it was 
the biggest, if I can say it on here, the biggest shit show ever. (laughs) You can. (laughs) It was extremely challenging. It was, I say to my husband, it was 10 times harder than going through cancer. And, and I had, Oh my gosh, really? Wow. Wow. Um, It was, you know, it was the basics. Uh, You know, our food wasn't good and our service wasn't good. And there were many reasons. Um, We kind of had this um, idealistic, uh, you know, idea that we would have kind of a commune method and that everybody would do a little of everything. And, you know, front and front of house would be trained with back of house. And, um, and, you know, I think everybody was on board with it and we were really excited, but we just, we saw that there were a lot of business inefficiencies, as you can imagine. Um, you know, someone who's not well-trained on one area can't get better and better at that area. And, um, especially with the food, you want people who have experience like a chef does of, you know, writing prep lists and, and doing inventory and things like that. Um, not to mention creating amazing food. So, I would say that not the average household cook can go into a kitchen and and run it. So, um, so that was kind of crazy. But I would I would say it was a good six to eight months after we kind of hit our stride and and realized, wow, that was <laughs> we. There were a lot of tears during that time period for sure. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. So, so did you decide? So, did it take you like six to eight months to decide? Okay, this commune method isn't working. We need to keep the chef in the kitchen and the front of house staff at the front, etc. Yes. Yeah. We um, we did not start with a chef, and we did not have um, what you would. Um, call in, you know, a general manager, uh, like a traditional general manager. Um, So both of those were hired at the six month period. We went through a few months of just that, you know, that um, reluctance from the team that saying, but we're, you know, it's a team and we do it this way and saying, you know what, there's some wisdom in the way that it is done in in other restaurants and and we're going to try it. And um, I need you to believe me on this. So there was that reluctance for sure that that whole summer of 2018, um, you know, just kind of figuring things out. But we made it through that really challenging time and people stayed on board and, and were eventually happy when they saw the outcome. It was much less stressful when it was organized and, and when there were policies in place that were um, that were to be followed like a normal restaurant. Got it, got it. And I appreciate you sharing that because, I mean, I know people are often looking for different ways to do things and sometimes things can work out and be absolutely brilliant. But I think it's good that you notice, you also you noticed, okay, this seemed like a good idea, but it wasn't, so we're going to change it and, it and it works. So that's good to hear. You know, I don't think we don't want to discourage people from trying new models, but it's nice that you kind of, you gave it a time and then you were like, okay, we're not just going to plow ahead with this. It is time to, to make a shift. So I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got into your stride. Um, so what about now? What are your current challenges as a business and how are you handling those? You know, um, restaurants are, are, they can always be a challenge. Um, there's razor thin margins. Um, yeah. In Minneapolis, we have a, um, we're rising to a $15 minimum wage, which I fully support and our staff has always made at least that. Um, but our servers right now make 11 an hour plus their um, tips. And, you know, sometimes those tips on a really busy Saturday night are, you know, 200 bucks uh, a person. So um, we do believe in in living wages and everything, but um, that's definitely something that's squeezing us a little bit. Um, and we do offer health benefits and um, paid time off. So oh, wow. and uh, okay. health and medical benefits. So all of those combined um, squeeze us a bit. But um, 
you know, we're, I think we're figuring it out. I mean, we've really had several months in a row of, of good profit. And um, one of the things that's kind of a secret in um, the plant-based world is that our food costs are more in the range of 15 to 20%, whereas a normal meat restaurant's going to be in the 30 to 35% range, depending on if it's a, you know, a steakhouse or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting the- one, actually, isn't it? Because I know that's when you're pretty much using just plants and the vegetables when you start bringing in some of the plant-based meats that can bump it up a bit but you're right I think I remember interviewing Ravi De Rossi when I was writing for Forbes and he said something similar because a lot of his restaurants uh, work predominantly with plants that does actually bring the cost down and you're right not not many people know that so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it and it's fantastic because we are able to have a, a really good um really good um, rapport with farmers who are making organic foods and, you know, maybe their prices are a little bit higher than normal, but we're able to make it work um, just because it's still in that 15 to 20% food cost range. So it uh, definitely helps the greater ecosystem. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I know we've touched on staff a, a little bit there. So and it's it's fantastic that you're already in profit because I know with some restaurants, it can take them a couple of years or so even to actually, you know, go into profit. Um, so that's that's uh, amazing that you've, you've hit that so quickly. Um, approximately how many staff have you got at the Minneapolis restaurant? Um, yeah, we're at about 35. Um, wow. wow. And that's yeah, a mixture of full-time and part-time, is it? Um, most are... Um, Gosh, I would say out of that, um, the good majority are over 30 hours. Um, We kind of stay in, you know, we'll schedule for, let's say, 30 to 34 hours for somebody knowing that they're probably going to get up to that 40 hours just by, you know, a busy Saturday night. There's a couple hours here and there. Um, So, yeah, I would say, yeah, the good majority are are full time. How many, how big is the restaurant? Uh, we are 150 seats. Oh, so okay, it's fairly, fairly big operation, you know, a reasonably big operation. Wonderful, fantastic. Now let's talk a bit, a little bit about the sort of marketing, PR and growth side of things. I noticed that you uh, said when we were, were emailing in some material you sent me that you gained 7,000 Instagram followers in the first 12 months of opening. So can you share a little bit about how you achieved that and what impact Instagram has had on your business? Yeah, I, you know, Instagram is so lovely because it is, it just levels the playing field for everybody. Um, We found our niche in just the the photography, you know, Um, our creative director, Ellen Hughes is amazing. Her photography is great. We've also had a lot of staff members do photographs. Um, And that really just tells the story of how beautiful plant-based eating can be. You know, we, we've really, um, been intentional about making sure uh, that that just everything looks nice and pretty and people are reading through the feed going, oh my gosh, I never thought about making that kind of dish or whatever. So I think that's um, what's, I think that's what's driven um, the growth. And then we also have a lot of um, references to our climate activism. So when we are out of town and we are, um, you know, at the UN or things like that, we um, will put, we'll post those and I think that kind of activism inspires people and gets them to to uh, add more followers and, and tell their friends about it as well. 
Yeah, for sure. So while we're on that subject, then tell us a bit about you. So I know you do describe yourself as a climate activist first and foremost. Um, and as you mentioned, you've been involved in or are involved in a number of projects, including being part of the United Nations uh, delegate to the uh, Conference on Climate Change, which was in Poland in 2018. Uh, you're also a consultant for the United Nations uh, COP25 menu in Madrid in 2019. How did you? How did that come about? Like, how did you get those gigs um, and how's it helped your business? <laughs> yeah, well, um, a huge thank you to Climate Generation. Um, they were the ones who actually, I was at a conference with them. They um, they develop curriculum for K through 12 um, climate activism for youth. And um, they have gone, they've been going to the United Nations every year, um, pretty much since it started. And uh, they, this the year of 2018, they were putting together a business delegation. So they really wanted to get business owners um, involved and, and larger businesses to um, kind of be at this uh, um, at the COP 2024. 20, uh, and so I, it was me and uh, a local architectural firm, BWBR Architects, and then we were with Target and Best Buy, two large corporations. And we just had this amazing time. It was uh, the four of us got to really connect about business and climate change. Um, when you're there, you meet everybody from the president of um, Zimbabwe to, uh, you know, people that are um, doing really amazing things on policy. You meet a ton of activists, uh, Greenpeace uh, volunteers, people that are just doing really amazing things. And um, it's so inspiring. So after that, there's just a ton of networking that happens, especially in the area of food and climate change. Um, it's It's... It was in the past a, a smallish group of people, and now it's just really exploded. And so you just you just uh, keep in touch with them and, and their friends and, and peers, and everybody's doing an amazing job. And then I guess other opportunities, <coughs> excuse me, other opportunities uh, come from that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's how we saw um, with the UN uh, the menu for Madrid, or actually it was for Chile originally, um, and that got moved at the last minute to Madrid. Um, yeah, there's just so many great organizations that are looking for help. Um, something that you might not know, the United Nations, when we went, um, served an entirely neat uh, menu and really got blasted for it. Um, I think they might have had a vegan soup or something like that. Oh, wow. It, it was just really um, astonishing to see that this huge amount of people that are gathered here um, don't even have the fundamentals in the right place. Um, greenhouse gases from food, uh, they're estimated to be, you know, 25 to 50% of all uh, greenhouse gases. So mm -hmm. I, uh, we've done a lot of education and, and there's a lot more opportunity going forward. I love that. And then like you said, you can share that when you share that kind of thing with your customers, it really helps you to stand apart um, from a lot of businesses. Um, I really like that you've kind of got that USP, the unique selling point around uh, climate change. Um, and just on that as well, I notice you you say in your, your promo materials that you plant a tree for every guest that dines with you. Tell us a little bit about, about how that works. Yeah, that was actually an idea that came out of the UN conference as well. So there's um, a project called the Trillion Trees Project and basically inspired me to, um, they said, you know what, if every business was uh, doing their part in planting trees, we would tackle the, um, the um, you know, planting trees and, and creating more um, CO2 uh, section out of the environment um, a lot quicker. So, um, so I just said, okay, let's partner with a you know a tree planting partner. Ours is uh, Trees for the Future, or you you make it, you can find them online at trees.org. 
Um, and then they get they um, update our um, tree count every month. Um, right now we're just a little over 50,000. Um, and that's just for this last year. And it's just amazing. It's really cool to see that that kind of, um, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, how do you say, uh, paying it forward. Uh, yeah. With so, and, uh-huh. yeah. so how does it actually work, though? So a guest comes in, but then how does it actually translate? Do you have to pay a portion of the guest's um, fee that they pay for the meal to do? It's like, how does it actually work? Well, we use a POS program called Toast, and it's pretty common in the restaurant industry. And at the end of each month, I just do a report, a sales report, and it tells me how many guests we've had. Ah. And, um, you know, I can average anywhere from five to 8,000 per month. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, I just send that number to our friends at trees.org and then um, pay the invoice and then they update us on electronically on our website and, and on their website. And So you have to pay them? A percent, a, yes, an amount. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you factor that into your business model then, into your profits. Yes, we do, oh, and okay. we do let we do let guests know on the menu that their their price does include the fact that we are are planting a tree. Oh, that's good. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. So you've had uh, a couple of shout outs um, or endorsements from some quite major celebrities, including Pink, uh, Billie Eilish and the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, Tell us about how that came about and any tips that you might have for getting the attention of celebrities. Yeah, well, so the Billie Eilish thing actually came through Uber Eats. Um, They were asking us if we would um, participate in a um, vegan road trip that she did. So, um, so that was just kind of a, a, you know, a different company that was kind of um, putting us together. The um, Pink and Smashing Pumpkins and and a few other celebrities, uh, that is just simply them being in town at the same time. And, um, we find this a lot that a lot of celebrities or somebody from their staff is um, vegan, of course. And, um, you know, being one of the few vegan restaurants in town, uh, they order from us. And so uh, a lot of times we'll just get a shout out for that. And um, so that's, that's how we've gotten uh, that. And my advice to people is, you know, when you have people in town, um, we didn't get an endorsement from her, but Oprah was just in town. And as you know, she's been promoting vegan eating lately and um so that was just uh something really really um cool to see and and you know did she come and eat at your place she did not no um it was it was really neat it was it it, it's just neat to see that people are um promoting vegan eating and um yeah so my advice on the the issue of instagram and social media and connecting with celebrities is you know when you hear them reaching out about vegan eating um just try to connect with them on on dm and just say hey you know this is what we're doing we'd love to have you visit our business that sort of thing um they those, you know, the bigger celebrity they are, they're probably not checking that, but, um, but it's always worth a shot. And um, they are usually really excited to promote local vegan businesses. Yeah. And I reckon I was actually thinking as well, that's probably an advantage, like you say, of being in Minneapolis. It's not like say New York and LA where they've got tons of vegan restaurants to choose from. Uh, You know, you're more likely to get the attention um, when, when it, you know, you haven't got too much competition in your area, but that's great. But I think that is a good idea. And maybe even like, you know, if you know that certain people are going to be going on 
tour and like you say are going to be in town to contact in advance and say hey I noticed you're coming you know or get in touch with their people or like you say on a DM on Instagram I noticed you're coming to town um, you know we'd love for you to join us kind of thing so it certainly doesn't hurt to, to reach out but that's fantastic that you, you've got yeah, that yeah. amazing now I noticed as well you also run events at the restaurant um, including a, a salon and a book club uh, which I think is a very smart idea because it gets different people in who otherwise might not just come in and have a sit-down meal so tell us a little bit about uh, these um, and again how they've benefited the business yeah this is um, a great way that we can do our climate activism um, the the salon is basically just a uh, a dinner party where we've invited special guests we've had people like uh, the mayor of Minneapolis um, people that are you know medical doctors that are speaking on the health impacts of climate change We've had um, meteorologists talking about severe weather and um, catastrophic and cataclysmic weather um, at pretty much every topic you can think of between fashion and education and, and uh, lifestyle and, and all of these things. And um, it's just a really nice way for people to connect. And it goes back to our mission of just bringing food as the center, you know, that's the connector. And um, it really does help. I think climate change is one of those issues that um, can be scary and overwhelming and um, sitting in a salon is just a nice way to connect with your community. So that's fun. And um, same thing with the book club. We partnered with um, Majors and Quinn, which is a local independent bookstore. They're amazing. And um, they went through and selected a, a whole bunch of books for every single um, we had it every two weeks actually. And so they selected all of 26 books for the year and just amazing. It's it's amazing when you read a book and you can, um, you know, collaborate with others and, and say, oh, I, I learned so much about this. And, and not everybody reads the book, but people still find value in coming and just meeting new people. And um, yeah, it was really fun. We're, we're getting our books ready for, for, um, for this year. We're a little behind schedule. And are they climate change books or activist type books or anything like might they be novels or is it a mishmash or what kind of books are they? They almost are all related to climate change. Um, so um, I'm trying to think, you know, um, Jonathan Safran Foyer um, has a, a great book. We are uh, blanking on the name, but... Um, eating Animals? Yeah, well, it's Eating Animals, and then he has a subsequent book. Um, oh, we are, okay. We Are the Weather, that's what it is. Oh, okay, um, right, gotcha. So, yeah, so he's been a great one, and so many other authors. But um, yeah, we try to find the books that um, really highlight uh, food and climate change, and how um, how your diet has an impact on the planet. Got it. And then, what do you do? Do you encourage people to read the book before they come to the events? To the book, how does it work? Yeah, we um, we put the book list out at the beginning of the year, and then you know, once once a month, we'll just kind of put a little thing on Instagram, like, hey, just as a reminder, we've got book club coming up in a week or two. Um, so we give out reminders, and then um, and then we always are welcoming. If somebody hasn't read the book, we're like, come anyway. You know, you'll, yeah. you'll meet great people. You'll hear the conversation <laughs> around it, and uh, it's it's about. Uh, drinking wine and sitting around with interesting people right? yeah for sure now is that in a separate area of the restaurant because I assume you've obviously still got your regular customers sitting just having their meals is there a, a specific area where you do the salon and the book club yeah we we purposely have it on Mondays so that we have um not as not as many people in the restaurant and so we'll have it off to the side and 
um, it doesn't get too rowdy. So uh, we, we uh, <laughs> kind of off to the side, <laughs> but it works. it works. Oh, that's cool. And do you charge for those events? Like do people pay a fee to attend or do they have to buy, say, a meal, for example, to attend? Um, it's completely free and no, there's no expectation to buy anything. Um, the dinner party, people just order off the menu. So if they want something on the menu, that's great. Um, oh, okay. A lot of times we'll have students from the university and they'll just order a tea or something, which is totally cool. Um, and same with book club. Yeah, we just we just want people to be there and yeah. um, kind of that's- bring up conversations yeah. no it's great it's a very smart marketing exercise because even if you you know you're getting people through the door they're going to be talking about it posting about it may well come back with others to to eat at the restaurant so that's that's wonderful thank you for sharing that now let's talk a little bit about and I've written about this extensively myself there's a whole chapter in my book vegan ventures about it is in regards to should you use the word vegan in your marketing materials on your website etc or is it better to use plant-based or plant-powered and um there's no right or wrong answer, but I love to hear about people's different choices because I noticed with, from what I've seen of your materials, I don't think I've really seen the word vegan. I may have missed it, but I've, I've seen a lot of plant-based. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts around that terminology and your decisions to use certain words. Yeah, it's fascinating. I could talk about this forever and I, think <laughs> that, uh, I don't think there is a right or wrong, but you're seeing so many things play out. Um, so first, we um, because we are trying to find those 95% of meat eaters and really get them to uh, take down their meat intake, we've deliberately, um, you know, used the word plant-based uh, for the most part. Um, and that is, as, as you know, and as you've probably heard, most meat eaters think when they think about vegan food, the picture in their head is maybe a salad or, or yeah, like some lentils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, we are very much like a chef driven food experience. And so plant-based just evokes a little bit more emotion and, um, gives, gives that meat eater a chance to think that it, you know, might be something slightly different than, than what they've been used to or what they think of when they think of vegan. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I, you know, I'll be honest, I was scared when, you know, um, using the word vegan, I was, I was scared initially. We, um, we opened as a vegetarian restaurant and almost immediately my baker who from the very beginning, she's like, we have to go vegan, you know, um, uh, the creams and the cheeses and everything, dairy, industry is one of the biggest emitters mm-hmm. of, of uh, <laughs> gases. And I'm like, dang it. You're right. and I, <laughs> again, I'm a 20 year vegetarian. I was like, you know what? I cannot, I cannot have this mission and, and uh, stand beside this and, and say that, that we're doing the right thing. We're not. So um, after about uh, 10 months, eight months, 10 months, uh, we went vegan after we opened about eight months after we opened. And, um, it was great. And I was so proud of it. And I am so proud of it. We, my husband and I have gone vegan. So it's, it's a testament to just sometimes just getting out there and just saying the word because it, it does have meaning and um, plant-based is a little bit, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit of a murkier word and, and could mean many things, but, um, but anyway, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any right or wrong, but it's sure. really interesting from a business marketing Yeah. So when you changed it from vegetarian to vegan, did you get any pushback from client, from restaurant clients, customers, or did they kind of not notice or you didn't tell them? Or 
Well, no, I, business went up. Uh, um, first oh, it good. Up. Oh, let's just pause there. Business went up. They went from it, vegetarian to vegan and business went up. I just want to emphasize that. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. It, uh, I mean, just as an example, so in 2018, the average that we did in revenue per week was about 20000 a week. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in 2019, it's almost always never fails just 30,000 a week, which not a sing. I don't think there could be a single restaurant in the world that can say <laughs> that they went to be- being vegan and then their business went up that much. Um, so it's crazy. And the food is crazy good. And, and um, I'm so proud of our chef and, and the team that makes everything. So yes, I was worried. I was really worried about brunch because I thought that people would rebel without having, you know, eggs because you think of brunch and you think of eggs, but uh, nope, we did it and, and they did it brilliantly. So we, we also have a buffet and I think that's a nice thing for brunch, uh, especially if you're vegan, yeah. you don't get that everywhere. <laughs> so Absolutely. That's fantastic. And I noticed, uh, well, recently your most latest development is that you're now, uh, going into franchising. So you've got a, a new, I think it's called Fig Collective of, of chefs and, and others, and you're offering some franchising opportunities. So, um, tell us a bit about that, um, what the benefits are for franchisees and also what you get out of it as a business too. Yeah, so we actually decided to do a brand licensing rather than a franchise. Um, and the difference is basically that you don't have an ongoing monthly um, fee or, or royalty. Um, oh, we, okay. Yeah, we have a flat fee for the brand licensing, and that includes um, the interior consult and um, being a part of Fig Collective, which is, um, as we envision it, just a collective of chefs around the world who want to open up their own restaurant. Um, and they call it Fig and Pharaoh. They call it Fig and Pharaoh, yep. And they have the resources available, the, the menus and recipes and food costing and things like that. But we don't, um, we don't go further than that. It's their own business. We don't, um, we don't tell them what to do. We don't tell their employees what to wear. Um, it's entirely their own brand. And, Interesting. Um, don't you th- isn't that a bit risky? For the Fig and Farrow brand, like if someone really stuffs it up or does something completely different, I mean, I'm just curious. It, it's interesting. I like I like the sound of it, and but I, I'm just curious. Are you not concerned that someone might make it so different that it then makes the whole Fig and Farrow brand become a bit confusing? I um I think the more challenging thing or the the biggest risk is not getting the word out about plant based eating and climate change. Um, climate change, we have a very short window here that we have to address it. Um, yeah. Experts, scientists think it's less than ten years, and if we don't start changing our eating now to a plant based diet, we don't we won't have the luxury of of talking about it. So. Putting all things aside, putting my control issues as a business owner, <laughs> I, I, you know, I am hoping that I will hand this over in a way that people say I will respect the brand, and I'm not gonna, um, you know, there there are certain things in the contract like it has to be vegan. Yeah, I was just wondering that. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be a yeah, that's got to be in there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, interesting. Um, that's great. Now, when you mentioned they pay a license fee, like, is that a yearly thing or literally just a one-off, and then they don't pay it ever again? just a one-off. They don't pay it ever again. And wow. it's equivalent. Um, you know, we, it's a little bit different for each restaurant based on, on their size of what they're going to be opening, but it's based on the first two weeks of revenue. 
Um, so in our business, we, you know, it, during that honey, we call it the honeymoon period, but in your first three or four months, um, or, or sometimes three or four weeks, it depends on where you're at. Um, you're going to do quite a bit more. We did 35,000 a week, um, when we were opening, um, right about there. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll be able to figure out based on their size, what, what they're going to So they at. don't pay you until after they've opened. They do actually pay us in advance because there's a lot of work that we do. Um, we come in and, and do an interior consult. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You could end up doing a lot of work. So how does that work? <laughs> if it's a percentage of their first two weeks, how do you know? Or do they pay a separate fee up front and then pay something that's based on their first two weeks? The estimate, it's basically an estimate. So we'll oh, go okay. in and we'll say, we, you know, you, you've got 20 seats. Your, your um, estimated revenue, you know, is going to be... 10 grand, you know, per week. So we're going to set the brand licensing fee at 20 grand. We have set it so that it doesn't go higher than 50 grand total. So um, basically, you know, that, you know, we would have exceeded that in our um, first two weeks. Okay. And if they, okay, got it. So if they go more like, say they had a, an amazing thing and turned over a hundred grand, they would still, they'd pay you a max of 50. Of 50. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So that's an interesting um, model, isn't it? So why did you choose that over franchising? Um, You know, franchising, it was a rabbit hole of so many things and a lot of it has to do with control. And I totally respect you know, other businesses that do the franchise model, um, it is about control. I just don't have the time of the day, especially with the work that I do with climate activism to babysit, you know, what color somebody's using for their toilet paper, you know. I, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, that makes sense. Um, yeah. A, yeah, no, that's an, an interesting one. Um, what was I going to ask you? So do you, when you say then, so are you basically pretty much hands off? Like, I'm just wondering, do you do any kind of check-in with them? Or once they've paid that license fee, they're just off and running? Or do you kind of keep an eye or do you plan to keep an eye on what they're up to in yeah, any way? Or if they need any additional support, can they come to you? Or, or I guess then they could come to you and say, we need X amount of support, but then they might, you might charge them an hourly rate for a consult or something. Was that how you're planning to... Yeah, we, um, we basically want to create a way that people can, um, you know, kind of run on their own, um, and, and that it's a collective, the, the title of it is the fig collective. Mm. So we want there to be chefs around the world who, um, can communicate with each other. They're part of a larger, uh, effort to fight climate change. Um, so we will have a portal. We do have a portal and that's ah, a, a way that's for them good. to communicate and to, you know, encourage each other to share recipes, to, um, you know, um, take new recipes from us. So we will be in communication. We just won't be running their day-to-day business operations. Got it. Got it. I love that. It sounds like an, an amazing model and one that's probably a lot less bureaucratic with, like you say, than, than franchising. So I think that's really really cool fantastic um can you tell us a little bit michelle about how the business has been funded to date yeah so we had um i as i had mentioned i sold my my other two businesses um i owned a commercial building and then i owned the the agency and um that got us through our first few months (laughs) and then uh Man, it was just money going out the window. It was really yeah. um, through a ton of money. Um, so we did. We also did a bank loan um, or line of credit, actually. 
And now that's starting to be paid down in chunks, which is nice. Um, we use credit cards now to, um, you know, uh, just lengthen the, the time that we have to pay things off. Getting that extra 30 days is, is nice in the restaurant industry. It gives you a little bit of breathing yeah. room. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we're just paying that line of credit down now. And um, most of the cash did come from my previous businesses. Sure. So. Do you plan to open to investors or not thinking about that at the moment? You know, we, um, there are a couple projects that, that would be, um, they're a little bit bigger. We, we do see the issue of food and climate change as a bigger conversation and um, would love one day to have some sort of, you know, chef's table uh, TV series about vegan eating and, and how beautiful it can be and, and the food and the farmers and the climate activism and all of that. Um, something like that is well, <laughs> well beyond our means of being able to afford. Um, yeah. Fig, Fig Collective is, is what I've got my eyes on right now and just yeah. kind of getting these chefs up and running. So um, that doesn't require any, you know, any, you know, investor money. So. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just on that, just much I should put, because obviously the listeners, predominantly, I think the majority of listeners are based in the US, but also UK, Australia, Canada, and we've got basically a global audience. So I just want to check with the licensing that you're offering, is that just for people in the US wanting to open a fig and farrow or is it for anyone anywhere? It's for everyone. And we uh-huh. are intentional, the law firm, my lawyer, everybody's, um, you know, we're crafting the, the international language right now. We have the US language down, but it's definitely something that I want to see global. Wow, and again, nice. like the larger issue is the biggest issue is how do we get the mainstream to adopt plant-based eating in a really amazing quick way? One of my goals in this is to see these amazing chefs around the world all collaborate. They've all got their own plant-based restaurants. They're all amazing. You almost can take a trip and you know visit anywhere in the world and have this most amazing experience, it still is rooted in the Fig and Farrow uh, ethos and, and design and kind of the style that we have. But, um, but basically, um, I'm so sorry about my dogs. Oh, don't worry. You can bring them in if you like. I've had cats and dogs on the show and I often find when I acknowledge them and say their names, they tend to calm down. Um, so don't worry about it. It's all right. I like to have extra special guests. So that's all good. Yes. We'll, we'll keep them in. <laughs> we have a deer outside of our house right oh, now. Oh my gosh. No wonder deer. they're getting excited. I'll bring the deer. Yeah. I've never had a deer. Oh, that's my first deer. There we go. First deer technically in the background as a get background, background. Yes. Oh, I love that. I really like that. I think that's great because I think what happens is like we're often seeing you know sometimes a vegan or plant-based restaurant will open and then for whatever reason it can be very varied reasons of course that they close down but I think some of it is to do with the fact that they're doing it on their own maybe they haven't done it before like there might be an amazing chef perhaps worked in a hotel or a mainstream restaurant but they've never actually run their own business and they can feel a bit kind of isolated so I love your idea of the fig collective where they can open it you know have that whole ethos of the brand still have the freedom and the creativity as long as it's plant-based to experiment you know with the menu and kind of do their own thing make it their own but and they've also got that support that they can go oh I've got this question or what do you know about this and and that real kind of feeling of support and community so I I really love that aspect of it I'm delighted to hear it's international so I I hope that yeah people some people listening will go oh yeah I want to do that rather than you know starting from scratch having to think up a name and you know kind of do everything and, and there's some you know whereas a lot of it's been done 
fun for you. But like you say, unlike the franchise model, you haven't got to do everything exactly the same. So I, I really love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so just to wrap up, uh, Michelle, tell us about the long-term vision for yourself and your brand. Because I know obviously you're definitely a business with a mission and you've got your climate change activism in its many forms. So tell us a little bit about anything else you would like to tell us about and just your, your long-term vision. Yeah, I so long term, I mean, I see our business as um, a Venn diagram between food and climate change. And we're kind of that middle space where we need to educate people, we need to persuade. So really thinking about how food connects everybody and how it brings people together. Fig Collective is my my really, it's my dream to get all of these people really interested around the world in plant-based eating and then um, do it in a way that, that, you know, major chefs do. They, people, foodies really pay attention uh, in, in this sector and we want, we want that excitement and energy. So that's, um, that's kind of the main uh, issue on the horizon. And then just um, growing our brand a little bit, we do, we have created a plant-based meal kit and um, it's something that, would be a shelf-stable product and go into grocery stores in the produce area. Um, it doesn't have a lot of packaging, so that's one of my big uh, yes. about campaign yes. meal kits. Definitely, um, and it won't be delivered. Sorry, you you have to go to your local grocery store to get it. But um, that's another area of of um, growth we we see because so many people want to do plant-based, but they don't know how to. They don't know how to cook it in their house. They well, they don't want to. I.e., me. Um, yeah. They want. It, I <laughs> yeah. want it as yeah. simple as possible. Yeah. So I love that. Yes. yes. I can see. I'm just going to throw this out to you. I can see as well a fig and farrow cookbook with all the different chefs contributing different recipes. I'm oh, throw that because yeah. that just came to me, and I can just see yeah. that. Just it just <laughs> kind of seems like a no-brainer. Um, and those can be really good. Like I know Candle Cafe have got like they've got like a, a holiday. They've got several books like a holiday thing and it's really cool because any people people can buy it anywhere and then obviously if you're a particular destination restaurant you know people obviously it helps with you know tourists visiting but even also with something like fig and farrow once you get those lo- restaurants locally a- across the globe that can help to bring people in i just thought i would throw that out there as a little thing it just yes. came through <laughs> to me add it to your list anyway but <laughs> we do have a cookbook that uh we we've done and it got picked up by a literary agent oh. uh Nira williams in boston and so they are shopping it with publishers so oh, but well, i love the idea of more chefs being involved that's yeah brilliant. i think that's great because you've got your fig collective it would make a lot of sense to yeah to have them involved like you have them contribute a recipe one it's less work for you you know instead of your you just writing the whole thing and it kind of adds a nice bit of variety so um, oh that's amazing well there we go awesome well we look forward to uh, to that coming out but look it's been wonderful speaking to you Michelle I love what you're doing I think it's a really unique model um, love the climate change angle as well and of course it's all vegan which is amazing and um, thank you so much for sharing some you know really cool insights it's been lovely speaking with you thank you for being here. Oh, it's great to speak with you and, and thanks for connecting everyone. This is, I, I love podcasts for that very reason. You can connect with people around the world and share ideas. And this is a very important issue. Food and climate change is the defining issue of, of our time and we need, to, we need to act now. Absolutely. So that was Michelle Courtright from Fig and Farrow. You can find out more at figandfarrow.com.
And that link is on the show notes page for this episode at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 138. Now for some vegan business news highlights. The global vegan butter market is expected to reach 1.77 billion US dollars by 2026, according to futuristic market intelligence company Fior Markets. The market in 2018 was estimated at $1.23 billion, so this marks a 4.65% increase in the forecast period for 2019 to 2026. Nut vegan butter is expected to have the highest growth rate due to increasing demand for dairy-free butter that's made from a variety of different nuts. Drivers for the growth include a rising preference for organic vegan butter, an increase in ethical concerns about the treatment of animals, and the growing number of vegans, particularly in the US and Europe. I love this, especially as it's showing the power of consumers to dictate a market. Although I went vegetarian at a young age, it took a lot longer for me to wake up to the cruelty of the dairy industry and to find out about it. Uh, So I'm really thrilled to see companies like Miyoko's and others creating tasty dairy-free alternatives to butter that are appealing to pre-vegans as well. Great stuff. New guidelines on vegan fashion have been drawn up by the British Retail Consortium, a trade body representing stores and online sellers, reports The Guardian. The move is to ensure that fashion wear claiming to be vegan-friendly really is free of animal products and comes after fashion buyers contacted the organisation with requests on how to source vegan products. The consortium warned retailers that they can't claim that sustainable products are vegan if they also contain any part of an animal. It also said vegan products are those that provided an alternative to the animal-based version of a fashion item. So this is a fantastic move. While there's been considerable development in the vegan fashion industry, you know, we're seeing products made out of uh, leather, made out of cactus and pineapple and apples, it's still lagging behind food. And non-vegan companies often try to greenwash and now vegan wash. (laughs) So it's good to see an industry body like this encouraging retailers to be truthful in their labelling and ethical claims. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.